welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a special guest all the way from across the pond. Jan Cavell is a successful entrepreneur who started from humble beginnings as a single mother on welfare. She's now helps businesses start and grow, emphasizing the importance of passion, purpose, and values. Jan is a leader who shares her ex- experiences and beliefs on personal development and mental health. She champions entrepreneurship through campaigns and encourages individuals to overcome fear and transform themselves. Jan is also a two-time author, and we're going to get into that. Jan, welcome to the show. Lance, thank you so much for inviting me on the show. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. Well, before we get into what you do now and the books and all of that, I would love to hear how you got here. I would love to hear if you came from a family of entrepreneurs and what it was like to start your business in the circumstances you started them in. Well, I came from a family of farmers, so I don't know whether, but I mean, it's sort of entrepreneurial to have your own farm, I think. So that's sort of near miss on that one. And I, I dabbled with small businesses um i mean as in sort of me and maybe a friend before (coughs) excuse me let me have a sip of coffee yeah no problem um stop stop croaking at you uh yeah i mean i i sort of had small businesses on a very casual basis but when i when i got myself into this situation of being a single mom it was a whole different ball game because i needed to make something serious out of it and that was hugely challenging because I had very little experience very little um, knowledge or anything really behind me so it was it was very big gamble um, which you know looking back anybody who had had any input would have said don't do it Um, you know there were lots of moments which were crazy risk and uh, I, I was lucky, uh, you know, and, and I worked very hard. I have, I have to admit, but yeah, it's tough. What did you, so what did you do to fill the gap while you were starting? I mean, you started to feed yourself while you and, and your, and your family. I obviously. know. Yeah. I know. I mean, I was incredibly lucky because I'm sure that, you know, things wherever you are nowadays are not so forgiving and flexible, but I literally went to my local social security office and banged on their door and said, look, you know, um, rather than fill in all your forms, I'm not going to fit into a perfect hole. Um, I want to be off Social Security as soon as possible, but I'm going to need some support in the meanwhile if I'm going to create a business that enables me to do that. Otherwise, you're going to be supporting my me and my kids for life. And they went along with it. They gave me a, a sort of supplementary income, which, as I say, I don't think you could pull off now because we live in a much more bureaucratic age. But it's amazing what you can get when you ask. Interesting. Got it. And so when you, so then you, you decided to start the business. And if you had to identify the number one most challenging part about that, after you got the funding and you had that in place, like then what was the big hurdle to overcome? 
I didn't have any funding to start at all. I literally started selling things and living, living and gradually putting a little bit of profit away to fund the growth. Um, so nobody in my right minds would have lent, lent me any money at that stage. Um, you know, so, so the, the borrowing money came later and that was funded by me. Um, so so um, I, think, I think what was the biggest challenge? I would say actually the biggest challenges came later on because we grew very, very fast um when we started growing it was it was sort of sticky for the first few years and then some, all of a sudden it went from sort of a small handful of us all having great fun and very involved um to um a couple of factories and 50 odd people and that sort of morphing um is is huge and and i that was where my ignorance and lack of experience really showed up i think you can get away with a lot of things as a startup till it gets to that size and then it gets a little bit more difficult yeah definitely but that's what's so fun about it too i feel like there's this in when you're in the startup phase and you're truly in the startup phase you it's the mistakes are easier to make the mistakes it's it seems like there's a softer landing for some of the mistakes for some reason yeah i'm not sure why um <laughs> maybe because you're just dealing with less money right away and then and less people and less liability and then as soon as you get bigger it, it sort of does that so how, how did you guys how did you find your first clients you know what was your strategy for that telephone selling uh you know it was something i'd done when i couldn't uh find an income anywhere else and i found it an invaluable skill throughout my business career actually just that ability to talk to people on the phone and to get a sense of who they were from a voice was so and, and indeed selling actually you know or, or being able to put across an idea and a vision uh, you know I think is is mammothly important for business owners so yeah. so yeah it's literally I bought phone books when I got my uh, check from the government and, uh, you know, so, so a tiny little bit of the food money went on a phone book, book every year because every week rather, because there wasn't uh, computers when I started. And I hit phones and yellow pages and went through because I was B2B um, and just knocked on doors and kept on knocking. What do you, so now that you've transitioned, now we've transitioned into the information age. How well, how was that for you? I mean, it sounds like you were just doing old school, picking up the phone and, and was, giving people yeah. a call. Yeah. So what is how have you adapted to this new era um in gaining clients? Or is it now just repeats and people are referring? I mean, now I don't have that business, so it's it's much easier altogether. But uh I we kept going on the telephone sales principle, because I think, um, I mean, you know, the whole database and everything was was on the, the computers, but, you know, even towards the end of the business, or my involvement with the business, should I say, you know, we still kept the telephone sales as the basic principle because I couldn't see any reason to change it. It worked for our business model in, in B2B, you know, and if I'd built up you know we're talking um sort of seven figures of sales on my own in, in that way you know i couldn't see what the point was of spending a small fortune on reps on the road <laughs> you know it just didn't add up financially 
Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, I mean, hence being a huge convert to telephone sales. I, I couldn't get the maths of, of doing it any other way. Yeah. So, and then maybe we could talk about, so your biggest client to date, or your biggest client lesson. Uh, I would love to hear that. You know, what is the, what is the biggest client lesson you've had, good or bad, without naming names uh, that you'd be willing to share with us? <laughs> I think, um, you know, probably off the top of my head, I would say we, we were in furniture and unusually for us, because mostly we were working for interior design trade, but we got a, a huge contract with um, an upholstery company uh, who started selling our furniture, combine, uh, sort of white labeling it, combining it with their sofas and stuff. Um, and it was great and it seemed wonderful, but of course, it you know, if you've got that dominant uh, client, then the rest of your business can suffer. Mm. And of course, if, if they stop trading or they start doing something else, which they did in the end, they changed the horses, you know, then you've got this huge hole in your books to fill. There's pluses and minuses and on the other side of that, I mean, I think that still came out as a good thing to do, but I was a bit wiser on the risk. We'd had a very big high street name, um, you know, the sort of name with a store in every town job mm. approaches to, to uh, again, white label furniture for them. And typically because it was a big deal, they wanted what we did, but customized and upgraded and for less money, you know, and, Everybody was in, in the company was so excited and it was all going to be wonderful and they couldn't believe that we'd be working for this company and you know, and I I just went for a walk one day and I thought the margins are just so small, the risk is just not worth it, and and I turned them down and everybody was going why you turn this company down, um, and I said yeah, you know it could have put us out of business in a couple of months. So I think you have to be really careful with the big deals. How did you? Yeah. How did you get? How do you think you got that confidence to be able to do that? And, and like, was that early on? Was that what? Was that in the first couple of years of business for you? That um, I'm trying to think. That was probably about seven or eight years in, um, maybe nine years in. We were offered that seven, eight. Yeah, I, I was much more confident in the early days. I think later on. The more I learned, the more I realized how little I knew, mm. you know, and that was um, scary. And I, you could see what was wrong and one, you know, work, trying to work out how to unpick it when you set it up, you know, it can be damaging that in a funny sort of way. Plus, I think when you are a fast growing startup, there are so many service people mm in that space coming in and saying, oh, I'll do that for you. I'll give you this advice. Can I help with this? And some of them are very good and some of them are not so good. But, you know, what you're hearing is it would be better if you did this. And that can be very undermining to the confidence, I think. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. I, it's interesting that you had more confidence because, I mean, it was sort of like uh, blissful ignorance, maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and absolutely. I'm not trying to be insulting, but I just reflecting what you said. So that's no, a, it's absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely it's, true. it's hard to say no, especially if you got what it sounds like is a very uh, marquee name company, right? Something like you said, yeah. it was, uh, uh, everywhere. 
that would be difficult. But at the end, obviously, you made the right decision. You're still here talking to me today. I've um, never regretted that one. Never regretted it at all. Did you? So besides the margins, when you saw the margins and you saw the risk involved with it, was there also just something your gut told you to initially, you know, with that? Or, or was it truly an analytical Decision. I I think in, in the end it was an analytical one, but there was that element that um, you know they employed in in their London head office. They employed a lot of girls who'd gone to furniture mm-hmm. or or design college. I don't know if they'd even gone to a furniture one, but therefore they had ideas, but they hadn't trained in how to produce them. So they were coming up with all these ideas that actually you couldn't produce, which, you know, just got very wearing too. You weren't dealing with real people and that's frustrating. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest reasons I had you on today, Jan, is I just love a story of grit. You know, the fact that you started uh, as a single mother uh, over in the UK and, and from the US perspective, we, I don't know if this is true or not, but we are, we are, I think the the we believe what we're, maybe the media tells us this is that like, oh, Americans are entrepreneurs and everybody else isn't. So yeah. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but what I'm going with this is, 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 and you're, you're happy to correct me too, after I quit talking here for a second, but like, um, what would you tell somebody else who's listened to this show that is in the, that was maybe in the same position? It could be male or female. I was a single dad for three years. What, would, what advice would you give them if they want to do something like you in, in starting a business and like all the odds are against them? I, I mean, I think it comes down to to your determination. I could not see any other way that I could do as much for my kids if I wasn't going to do that. You know, they wanted, they, you know, if, you know, if you've been a single dad at that point, your kids are probably needing you more than ever. The last thing they needed was to be dropped off with a childminder mm-hmm. all the time. You know, if I went out to work and there was no way we could survive if I didn't learn something. And, you know, then very quickly it became, oh, maybe we could have a better future for them, you know, and you dream for your kids. Yeah. And it was worth it. The sacrifice is worth it because in the end, with the, hopefully you have, I mean, not only you're, you become your own boss, you have, I, I would think you're making more money as your own boss than rather you would be working for somebody else. So the financial freedom and then being able to basically leapfrog that bad life that you would have had if you would have just been a cog in the wheel. Um, absolutely absolutely it would have been a horrendous life i think and and far less chances for the children um you know and they've both gone on to be very successful and things whether they would have done from a different background who knows who knows yeah can you comment about the american idea that we're entrepreneurs and everybody else isn't i think you're bigger thinkers often uh, and I think you definitely were. I think possibly the rest of the world might be waking up to entrepreneurship. You know, I remember when I first got involved in in promoting entrepreneurship, you know, it was very established in America mm-hmm. uh, you know, and accepted. And it has had been for a long, long time. Whereas in the UK, I mean, one of the things I was finding when I was going out to schools or colleges or business groups, I mean, actually, I went to one the other day and they went, well, what is an entrepreneur really? And which I was, I find pretty stunning in this time of day and age, but you know, they couldn't, couldn't be sure what that word was, you know, and I don't think you'd get that in the States. I think you are very entrepreneurial focused, if you like. Yeah. Well, I love that it's then spreading everywhere else. I mean, it, mm. for me, it's a, uh, my opinion is just back to that freedom part again, is that people 
people can make their own way in in such a better way. Um, Absolutely. And, and you know, the happiness is a reflection of that too when you get to that point. So um, where you're at right now in your in your business and your career, how are you guys gauging financial success and investments as a business owner? Well, I mean, I, I divested myself of businesses for sort of a stress fear that's freely older, older age or older age um, about four or five years ago. Um, so uh, I wanted to keep on with the supporting other entrepreneurs and I wanted to um, do run my writing full time. But I'd, I'd had enough of the headaches of, uh, of running a business. Um, you know, it was beginning to wear on my health and mentally and physically. Um, but I've been doing it for an awful long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. Um, so that, that's where I'm at. Um, but, you know, I still do the things I love, which is, is the writing and, and learning, of course, from others and supporting others. Tell us, tell us about that. Tell us about how you support other entrepreneurs right now. I would love to hear about the first book, you know, where, where that passion came from and then the second book. Well, the first book actually came from the, you know, me puzzling over going back to earlier in our conversation, you know, you and I were saying suddenly there's this big leap, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it gets so much harder. Uh, and it had puzzled me. There wasn't time to focus because, oh, you know what it's like when you're firefighting. And if there wasn't really time for me to work out why it was so much harder as, as it got bigger, why, you know, as you say, the, the mistakes early on are soft landings, why it becomes devastating when it's bigger, you know, and all those things. So the first book was almost a sort of thesis of, of mine that I was toying with and playing around with and thinking, why is it so different to go from one to ten, one to up to one million, um, uh, or, or as opposed to going from one million to ten million? You know, it's just completely different ride, uh, and and so it became something that I was investigating and talking to others, and I took up a lot of people's time nagging and investigating. And uh, with the result, eventually, I thought, oh, my goodness, I'd better do something serious about this and talk to a publisher and see if I can put a book together. And I did. And I got a contract from Bloomsbury. And so there we are. Interesting. And then when was that one published? That was published in 19... Oh, gosh, not 1900. <laughs> <laughs> That's showing my age, 2021. <laughs> oh, okay, recently, yeah. And what is that yeah. one called? That was Scale for Success, and um, which was the first one because it was talking about that leap between um, scaling and um, was the sort of very early stages of scale. What did you What did you learn about the scaling part? It sounded like you had there were some revelations in through all your interviews that you were talking to about people like very oh. much so. I mean, I think it was relooking, um, you know, at the foundations of what you need to do right for successful growth and all the blocks that need to be right from finance, obviously, to the right people at the top, which is crucial, which I didn't have. Mm. Um, you know, so the whole weight was falling on me. Um, and to so many things, I mean, I think, you know, to getting the strategy to work. So, so it's a... Um, 
chicken and egg thing with strategy, isn't it? When you're growing, you know, you need the money in place in time, but you don't need it too early because otherwise you're wasting money. You need the people in time. It's, it's you know, working that jigsaw of, of right foundations to make that, that scale possible on a smooth transition. So I think all those things and, and more and, and systems which don't matter when you're small systems come into their own. Yeah. Yeah. Organically. I mean, I, I mean, our, our, that's my opinion is that a lot of our systems, most of them was they were born organically when Alex and I first started the architecture firm. Mm. And then, and then there was this cross pollination that happened once we started to get employees and get the feedback from them. And, and now they're clearly in place, but I mean, we really didn't, uh, we wanted to keep it loose and organic because I feel like if you start out with a rigidity right away, you might compress your ability to scale. I don't know if you would agree with that. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. And I think it's one of the, that flexibility um, of a startup. It's one of its great strengths. And, and losing that starts to restrict you. And I think that's another thing. It's a very good point, but, but it comes into play because you get all the legislation and mm. the you know heavy stuff which you know you can't do that you know i remember finding it's so ridiculous having to you know put, put something in writing and give somebody who sat outside my office door an envelope you know with something formal on it in paper and it just you know to me that was anathema we were you know we were all working together you know why did i have to formalize it but of course you do you have to bring in this sort of stuff yeah. And that's, that's very hard. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's a challenge for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the first book published in, in 2021, and then did you take a break and try to, you know, get it out to the masses? And then if you did, <laughs> what happened, how did you well, lead to the second book? It was, it was the beginning of COVID, um, mm. you know, and so it was enormously, you know, but very beginning, everybody business-wise was in shock and that included Bloomsbury who were going, you know, very, they were very store orientated and were going, oh, it'll all open up again shortly and, you know, um, not to worry about it, um, which of course didn't quite prove truthful, but I mean, nobody, nobody knew really at that stage. Um, and, I was taking a break. I think it was it was the summer. I was doing some promotion of it, and you know we were all sort of going, "What's going on?" And I started to think, "Gosh, you know, already even in those early stages, there were so many dramatic changes going on in business. You know, of course, businesses were pivoting; they were leaping online. They were, you know, tech was advancing." from day one almost at a different speed altogether and leaders were having to cope with remote teams and how you kept up culture and with that if they hadn't already got them which of course some people had and you know and I've seen this all this stuff and it should have been in the book <laughs> you know how frustrating you know I'm trying to tell myself not to worry about it and of course we still didn't know if it was going to change back mm -hmm. but as time went by it, it became my sort of latest obsession was to to write about that change and and i was still thinking as i always had when i talked to blooms for the first time around that actually the first half of the book going up to um for sort of one say one to five million was really crucial to write about because it comes back to those building blocks and getting them in place making that transition later on so much easier 
Yeah. And so it had always been semi-planned, but I was in two minds whether to do it or not, because it's a lot of work. Yeah, definitely. And so uh, your book right now, it is just about to be published. It is published? Just published. It's it's um, been out two months. Okay. And how has how's the reception been so far? It, it was pretty good to start off with, um, you know, for one reason or another. I haven't been paying as much mind for the last month. But, um, you know, it was... Um, nice nice figures um you know to to certainly for for the start and now it's just a question of refocusing working out how to get marketing right to keep it going yeah beautiful well we hope everybody that's listening uh, takes a look at it i'm sure they can get it on all major publishers that absolutely that your Barnes and nobles amazon whatever <clears throat> beautiful uh if you had to if you if, if so my audience is um uh, I would say at least half are probably architects, designers, interior folks. You, you sounds like you you were in that wheelhouse a I little know, bit. I know that market. Yes. Yeah. So, and then the then the the rest are uh, people who are entrepreneurs, um, friends, fans, stuff like that. Uh, if you had to give them one pitch to why they should look at uh, go check out your book, what would it be? I think I'm well. For one thing, I'm really fairly early in getting out. Um, you know, some of what the new stuff that's been going on, and it comes from entrepreneurs across the globe. There was an awful lot of research went into it, and some genuinely amazing people have, have told me all sorts of insightful things and fascinating stories and things to illustrate the points. But I knew from my own experience. Um, you know, so it's a combination of of my knowledge and uh, a lot of other people's as well. And that makes, I think, for an interesting and good read and an up-to-date one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that it would be timely and you, you're sourcing a bunch of different entrepreneurs for it. That sounds that sounds fantastic. Uh, Jan, we're running up on the half hour here and I've got two questions that I ask every guest. And the first one is, knowing what you know now and if you could go back in time to when you first started your business, what is one piece of advice you'd give your former self? I would have a very definite date as to when I was going to sell up and get out, not let it meander quite so long, you know, maybe, maybe do several businesses, but, um, you know, I think it, there's always a danger of getting stuck in a business too long and, and that's not good for your business, I think. Yeah. What kind of, so, um, anybody who's maybe on the thinking of that, maybe five, 10 years, something like that. Mm. Yeah. What are some what are some flags, maybe even if they're you could either say they're green flags or red flags or whatever, but whatever you need to construct in your mind is or signs like what are the signs where you think you if, if somebody's listening to this, and they're going, yeah, I'm getting I'm those things are happening. And maybe it is time to start thinking about exit. You know, is it just as simple as like burning out or certainly I mean, burnout's part of it, um, you know, and I think when you're continually tired, when the same problems come up again and again, you know, um, because the problems are just as wearing force time round, but the victories are considerably less. Mm -hmm. uh, Jan, this has been great. Um, thank, thank you so much for joining us all the way across the water there. Uh, where, if people want to find out uh, more about you, if they want to pick up your book, where can they, where can they find and follow you? Absolutely. They can pop on my website, <clears throat> which is exactly the same as my name, jancavell.co.uk. Beautiful. Jan, again, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. And uh, we wish you nothing but success with, with that book. Thank you so much, Lance.